Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Peter and John at the tomb. We're going to sing Christ the Lord is risen today and as we sing I'm going to ask you to move up one pew. Um, you're too far away. Just move up one pew. I, I, I know it's uncomfortable. Just one pew as we sing. Won't you move up? Then Mary comes to the tomb in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but She did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. As we come to our time of prayer together, you just have to remember that if the resurrection is true, all things are possible. And if all things are possible, when we come to the Father, when we come to the Lord Jesus in prayer, He hears and He answers. Now, some people say, well, I've prayed for this and I haven't gotten it. Well, I didn't say He answered the way you prayed. I said He hears and He answers. And sometimes we don't know what's best. Sometimes when we think what's best isn't what's best, God's answer is different than our prayer. 
if we're a follower of Jesus, that's okay because we pray in Jesus' name, right? And what that means is we ask for him to do his will. And so we lay out before him our heart and say, Lord, here I am. And like Jesus, we say, but not my will, your will be done. And we wait upon him. And he comes. And he answers. So this morning, as we go to our time of prayer, uh, listen carefully. He's ready to answer. He may not answer the way you want him to answer. That's okay. He knows what's best. Listen for his heart. Um, And then together, after I give you a few moments in in quiet prayer, uh, we'll go together to the throne of grace. So let us pray. Look with me, if you would, in John chapter 20. We come to that story where the disciples are in the upper room, and uh, this is the second time the disciples have already seen Jesus uh, in the upper room. But a guy named Thomas was not with them. You remember Thomas. Uh, We know him as, how'd you know? Doubting Thomas. To me, this, wait, wait, wait. Wait, Vivian, wait till we're done with the scripture reading. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, the, um, Doubting Thomas. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you like to have, be known by something like that? I'm Doubting Dave. Hi, Doubting Dave. Don't you dare call me that. <laughs> um, and, and you know the story, and because you know the story, Pay close attention as we read, because when we know a story, it's way too easy to miss what happens. In verse 25, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was there with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Did you see that? You didn't know that. You were just moving up a pew. Did you know that you're now sitting in someone else's pew? (laughs) Just saying. It's not your pew, is it? You moved up. You moved closer to... How'd that make you feel? What do you think? You like that? No. Who says no? Raise your hand. How many of you don't like that? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you like that? 
How many of you don't care? <laughs> There's always those who don't care, right? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that as you approach the tomb, uh, as you approach the tomb, things become uncomfortable, don't they? Um, that, that doesn't just happen moving forward in your pews, by the way. Um, that happens as we approach the graveyard, doesn't it? Um, there, there is an uncertainty. There is an uncertainty when you walk towards the grave of someone you love. Now, that someone may be someone who had great faith, and you know they had great faith, and you know in your heart, you know that that person has gone to be with Jesus. And, and, and nothing's going to destroy that. But, but the truth of the matter is, you stand there, and they're there, and you're not. And that begins to open up a lot of questions in our hearts and in our lives. Those women that approached the tomb. Those are pretty gutsy women, don't you think? They, they were going to the tomb. They, they, they had been there. They, they knew that that stone was in place. They had no clue how they were going to get to Jesus' body. But they went to the tomb because they believed that if Jesus had died, because He loved them that much... And he had certainly shown them over and over again that he loved them. Especially Mary Magdala. Mary wasn't the best person in the world. She's not the kind of person you had over for dinner. Most people didn't care a whole lot for Mary. But Jesus loved her. Isn't that amazing? I I talk to people all the time that feel unloved. They, They feel like... You know, nobody really cares. And some of them come to church. And they come to church and they worship and, and they walk out. And someone might say, how are you? But, but they really don't think anybody cares. Unfortunately, they, they just came to the house of the one who loves them more than anyone else. He loves us so much. It's just incredible. It's beyond imagination how much He loves us. And those women, in particular Mary, recognized how much Jesus loved her. She had to go to the tomb. You may have done that yourself. There may be someone you love who died. You've got to go to that graveside. You, you, you believe in the resurrection and all that. But you just got to go. And when you're there, you remember how much love was there. You, you know what I'm talking about? And there sits Mary, Mary at the tomb. Now, they had come ready to prepare Jesus' body, but when they get there, the body's gone. It's missing. And so so they're kind of at a loss. What do they do now? The body's gone, so they go back and they tell Peter and John. And Peter and John make their way to the tomb. Now, Peter and John come to the tomb with a very different approach, I believe. Because you see, Peter and John, as they approach the tomb, they want to know what happened to Jesus' body. Listen to the words very carefully. They want to know what happened to Jesus' body. 
What is it that Mary says? They've taken the body of my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. You see, up to this point, it's not a thought of, okay, he's risen from the dead. I wonder where he is. The question is, where is the missing body? And so, as Peter and John approach the tomb, I have the feeling that they're ready for a fight. Who took my Lord's body? Who took the body of the one who loves me that much? Because whoever took it, they and I are going to have a talking to. And we're going to come to terms. And my terms come with a left hook. Now, that's going a little beyond Scripture. But i got a feeling, especially Peter. We know Peter is kind of impetuous. Peter's not happy. And yet, when they get to the tomb, it always amazes me every year. Did you notice when they got to the tomb, John believes... That's what it says. It says, when they, when they got to the tomb, when the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and believed. That's John. John saw and believed. Now, Peter It doesn't say Peter believed yet, does it? It says John believed. Interesting to me. Well, as they come to the tomb ready for a fight, what they discover is that the body is not there. And all of a sudden, John starts putting it all together. That's why he wrote a book. Maybe. He starts putting it all together. Oh, he's alive. He's alive. So people approach the tomb from different places. Mary Magdalene, still at the tomb, so caught up in what happened, what's happened in her life, the fact that someone she loves so much and someone who loved her so much has died, that when Jesus shows up, she doesn't even recognize him. All caught up in her own stuff. All caught up in her own grief. All caught up in her own pain. She doesn't even recognize Jesus. Was Jesus that different? When he says her name, then she knows it's him. And by the way, notice she grabs hold of him, and she's not going to let him go. Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Listen very carefully. Don't hold on to me, he says. Why does he say that? Well, because he still has to go to glory. And she wants to hang on to him. She wants him there physically. She wants him so she can see him. She doesn't want to lose him again. She's lost him once. Remember, where have they put the body of my Lord? Here it is. I'm going to hang on. Jesus says, don't hang on to me. Let go. I have to go to the Father. All these people come to the tomb with different approaches. I want to talk about our approach to the tomb this morning. Because I think frequently we approach the tomb with this whole idea, yeah, I believe in the resurrection, and and that's great, and, and, and so I'm just going to rejoice in the resurrection, which is true and good. But I want you to stop a minute and 
And think about the struggles that go on when you approach the tomb. Because you see, if we look at Mary, for instance, if you're going to approach the tomb like Mary did, because Jesus loves you that much, which is a great way to approach the tomb, you also have to be willing to let go and not hold on to the physical things of Christ, but rather hold on to the spiritual things of Christ. The resurrection causes us not to hold on to the physical things, but to hold on to the spiritual things. We are caught up in physical things. Some of you put on your best clothes this morning and came looking your best. Why? Because it's Easter. It's some of you just because it's Sunday, and some of you because it's Easter Sunday. And no, none of the ladies wore a bonnet this morning. I was really disappointed. <laughs> I love Easter bonnets. I don't know what it is. I, I love it. I love Easter bonnets. Not, I'm not criticizing anybody, you understand. Uh, but next year, no. <laughs> um, but, but we're concerned about outward appearance. We're very concerned about outward appearance. We're very concerned about what we have and the things that, that are available to us. We're very concerned about our finances. We're very concerned about our bills. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned. I'm just saying we are very connected to physical things. I was excited this morning. It was only 30 degrees when I came over, but I knew the sun was going to come out. I'm connected to the sun. I love the sun. I'm connected to a lot of physical things. But Jesus calls me by His resurrection to let go of the physical things in my life and to try to focus in on the spiritual things in life. The truth of the resurrection that John wrote, Jesus did many other miracles, so what? So that you might believe. And so I get real excited when I see Jesus do things supernatural in my life. This morning, first service, I talked about giving birth. That, that to me is just a supernatural thing. You say, oh, it's a natural thing. It ha happens naturally. But uh, as I mentioned first service, that uh, I, I know many babies that have died right upon birth. As a matter of fact, just, just on Wednesday night, I'm coming over for the Monday Thursday service, and I get stopped by a nurse and she's really upset. I said, what's the problem? She says, I'm, uh, she works in maternity. And she said, this morning, a baby was born and it died within minutes after birth. No warning. No reason. No, nobody knew. All of a sudden, this baby is born. Now it's dead. She said, what time is service Sunday? I said, you need to come. Because you see, we look at birth like it's a natural thing, but the truth of the matter is, birth is a miraculous thing. The odds against you being born were great. It started with that one sperm and that one egg, and somehow you put it together, God put it together for, to make you, I mean. That's miraculous. Furthermore, before you were born, God had you in His mind. The Scripture tells us. Even before you were born, He thought you were so special that, that he, he sat down and He was thinking of you. And, and He thought, I'm going to make this person. And it happened to be you. And He created you 
just like you were supposed to be. And when you were born, God stood back and said, now that's very good. That's what he said about you. That's how much he loves you. That's how special you are in his sight. And so as you began to grow, he got real excited. And you looked at your face and you said, oh man, pimples, oh darn. And Jesus just smiled. That's all right, you'll grow up, they'll go away. But I wanted to see what you looked like with pimples. And I love you very much. Even with the pimples, you look great. Then you got older. Pimples went away. You got a big pimple. <laughs> and you said, Lord, how, how can you? Nobody loves me. Jesus says, I love you very much. He says, I love you so much that I don't want you separated from me. And he looked at all those scars you have from, from the times when you thought nobody loved you. And, and so sometimes you lashed out. And at other times you just acted inappropriately behind the scenes. And sometimes you just had these wicked thoughts about people. And you thought, if the people are going to treat me that way, then this is what I'm going to think about them. And maybe you had an opportunity to, to get back at them. Or maybe just in the course of your life, you had a chance to cheat and you thought, eh, no one's watching, I'll do this. Whatever it was, Jesus saw it and his heart was broken. Because you see, every time we do that, we get stained with, with sin. I, I sometimes think of it as, as uh, scars. You, you know, when, when you cut yourself, um, I, I have a number of scars where I've cut myself, not that I'm clumsy or anything, but when you cut yourself and, and it heals over and it scabs over, and then, and then, of course, you pick at the scab and it scabs over again. And, oh, you don't do that? <laughs> and and, and when, it, when it's, anyway, when it's all done, there's a scar there, Right? And I've seen people, I had a, a friend in, in Maine who uh, was actually in Pearl Harbor the day it was attacked by the Japanese. And he, his ship was hit, he was set on fire, he jumped in the water, um, and yeah, he was put out, but the side of his face was, um, some would say, grotesquely star scarred, and, and his left hand um, was, um, he couldn't really use it very well, and it was all, all scarred almost disfigured, a beautiful man who loved the Lord. And of course, I didn't see the scars. And so when we sin, there's scars left on our spirits. And we may go on, we may think, oh, everything's fine, but those scars are still there. And Jesus wants to remove them. You see, He created us to be beautiful, and He wants to remove them. And He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that those scars could be removed, so that, that sin could be forgiven, 
so that all those things we've done could be forgiven by Him, forgotten by Him, let go by Him, so that we could see ourselves from His perspective, no longer scarred and dirty and ugly, but rather clean, beautiful, like God sees us. A person who is incredibly loved. And then Jesus walked out of the tomb to remind us that life is not about this body and this flesh. Life is about the Spirit-lived life that He has for us. A life where we know we're loved. A life where we can love others. And a life that's eternal. So that when we approach the tomb, as we approach, we're reminded that this life is not forever. The Apostle Paul says, this is a tent. And he says, this tent is no, nothing like the building God's creating for us. Great images. A tent's temporary. You move it from place to place. It, it, it tends to tear. I've had many tents. Every tent I've ever had leaks. At some point, it leaks. I have yet to have a tent that I've had more than five or six years that doesn't leak, if I've used it anyway. Some of them I leave in the box, and I'm pretty sure they don't leak yet. But the house I live in and have lived in for the last 18 years still doesn't leak. I have yet to get wet inside unless I'm in the shower. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. God has given us a building that He's prepared for us. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In this world, I, I walk around in this tent. And sometimes I walk with Jesus and sometimes I don't. And when I don't, the tent begins to wear down even more. And, and things happen to me that shouldn't happen. And I really get in bad shape, but when I walk with Jesus, then He helps me with my tent. But the best part is He keeps telling me, don't worry about the tent. i got a house for you. We're just on our way. I know that because Jesus walked out of the tomb. Peter and John approach the, the tomb. They're looking for a fight. We live in a world looking for a fight. And Christians love to fight. Did you notice that? Christians love to fight. So when you try to share someone, with someone the love of Christ, they find out you're a Christian. They say things like, oh, well, what do you think about? You fill in the blank. Abortion. What do you think about homosexuality? What, what do you think about... Um, what do you think about the creation and the beginning of the world? And they, they ask you these questions, not so much that they want to know your answer, it's because they think they're going to knock you off the whole idea of loving them. They want you to think that they're unlovely because they feel unlovely. The truth is to love them first and keep loving them. Let them ask the questions. Share with them the love of Jesus. I had a, a guy say to me one time, this is great, he said I, I was aff affronted by uh, a person who, 
who needed to be loved. And I was, I was trying to love them. I was telling them how much Jesus loved them and how much I cared about them as a human being. And this person happened to be a lesbian. She said, well, what do you think about uh, uh, um, the, the, the homosexual issue? And he said, well, I don't really think anything about it. Took, him, took her back. What do you mean you don't think about anything about it? He says, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a homosexual, so I don't, I don't really know myself what that's all about. I do know what the Bible says about it. If you want to talk about that, we can, we can look at that. And that's what God says about it. But, but I, I love you. I just simply love you. I have no opinion. This to me was was interesting way to approach it. And, and so then she was intrigued. And so she said, okay, then... What's the Bible say? He says, well, I, I don't want to just tell you. Let's look. And so he opened the Bible, and he began to go through the different passages of, of God's love and how God created her and loves her very much. And he, he flipped through some of the passages that talked about homosexuality, and he says, well, I, you know, I don't know how you understand that, but this is what it says. And then he says, but, but look at this. You see, now he's got the Bible open. But, but look at this. And, and he runs over to the story of how Jesus died on the cross because he loved her. And then he said, and look at this. If you put your faith in him, he will forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong. And he will change you. And he will show you his love over and over and over again. You with me? Amazing. His response was that she listened. She didn't accept Jesus right there. That would be a great ending, right? I always want that ending. But she said this, you've given me a lot to think about. And he said, never forget that Jesus loves you. And I love you too. We like to get caught up in the arguments instead of just going to the tomb. When Peter and John get to the tomb, there's no more arguments. Jesus obviously isn't there. There's nobody there. There's nobody to fight. And when they get back to the upper room, Jesus shows up. And with Peter in particular, what's he say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says what? Feed my sheep. He says to Peter again, Peter... Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you, Peter says. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Now Peter's a little upset. Jesus, come on. You know I love you. Actually, Jesus asked him if he loves him more than these, <laughs> which is an interesting question. Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. You see, when we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, what that means is that we are now connected with God and His love. And if we're connected with God and His love, then we are 
required, forced, given the great opportunity to feed his people, to love them like he loves them. Can you do that? You approach, you approach the tomb. You approach the tomb. And Jesus is calling you, first of all, to realize how much he loves you, that he was willing to die for you, and that he rose again from the dead to provide a place for you where the two of you can be forever. But that only happens if you're willing to say yes to him. You see, you can get to the cross like Peter and John did and walk away. And John believed Peter didn't yet. He does, but not yet. Is that where you're at? You believe, but kind of not yet? Jesus loves you very much. This is what he's calling you to do. To let go and follow him. To let go of all those hurts. To let go of all those things you've done to walk away from Him. Allow Him to come. Ask Him to come and forgive you and wash you and cleanse you. And then to follow Him. Because you see, once you get to the tomb, it's empty. It's stupid to stay there. It's time to follow Jesus. You approach the tomb. Where are you going from here? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the Gospel of John and for how John tells the story of your resurrection in such powerful ways. Thank you for Peter and John running to the tomb. Thank you for the women who shared the story of your resurrection with everybody they met. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you didn't just raise from the dead and go home, but that you hung around so, so that Mary could see you, so that the disciples could see you, um, so that uh, your followers could see you in many different situations, so that, Lord, it could not even be uh, argued that you didn't rise from the dead. But on top of that, Lord, so that we could see how much you love us. And Father, now that you've gone, Jesus, now that you've gone to be with the Father, help us to follow you, that your name might be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close by singing, Because He Lives, number 160, 169. 169. And as we sing, if Jesus touched you, and, and you say, hey, I, I've said I believed in the resurrection, but I haven't been willing to go from the tomb and follow him. And you would like to do that. I encourage you to come up. Maybe you say, hey, I came here just to celebrate Easter. Didn't know uh, all that it meant, how much Jesus loves me. And you've heard about his love. And this morning you'd be willing to say yes to him for the first time. I encourage you to come. Let us pray with you. We've got some help to get you on the way. We want to encourage you every way we can. Won't you come as we sing, Because He Lives.